Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome, and thanks for joining me today for this very special session I'm running with Anna Hemmings. Anna Hemmings is a two-time Olympian, six times world champion, and an MBE. She's Britain's most successful ever female kayaker. Since retiring from sport, Anna founded the high-performance training consultancy Beyond the Barriers, an organization that is dedicated to helping individuals and teams perform at their best. And on top of all of that, Anna has previously been a guest on my podcast. So Anna, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Ben. Pleasure to be here today. Um, look, very much looking forward to it. Yeah. Now, this is such an important topic we're covering because we've been through such challenging times, haven't we, uh, with the global pandemic and everything that's flowed on from there. So what we're focusing on today is resilience and in particular resilience for leaders. And that means for you helping clients, but also more importantly for you and your own business and trying to grow that, take it forward. So Anna, thank you very much for taking us through this information. I'll pass it across to you. Brilliant. Thanks, Ben. Um, so as you said, I was a, I was a professional kayaker. Um, I always wonder if anyone's ever watched any, any kayaking, competitive kayaking. You know where they go down the rapids and the weirs and they do Eskimo rolls, getting battered by the white water. That's what most people usually think. But I didn't do that. I did flat water kayaking on a river or a lake, one end to the other as fast as possible. And it was all about speed, winning races by fractions of a second, propelling my kayak along the water faster than any other female on the planet. And I'd like to share some snippets of that journey to become the best in the world with you through the lens of a leadership model called the Resilient Leaders Element. And the model is based on the experience of real life leaders and will help me to reveal a toolkit of the behaviors and strategies to develop resilience in challenging times. And I have long believed, and now more than ever, that the businesses who survive and thrive through periods of adversity and rapid change are the ones who have resilient leaders who drive them forward. Resilient leaders are more effective under pressure, have the ability to think clearly and strategically in the face of challenge and to make rational decisions and emerge stronger. The need for resilient leaders able to thrive in uncertain times is greater than ever. And if you want to have impact both now as a leader recovering from this crisis and in the future, then you need four key elements. And and I'm going to share those with you. So let's get started. We can think of resilience as a response to challenging events. And you can see here we've got challenging events and and resilience over time. And when we are in the green zone here, we're coping. So we're we're feeling like we're we're coping with the events that are being thrown at us. We're we're feeling competent. We're able to switch off and relax at the end of the day and sleep well. as we move along, as the, as the events get, become more challenging, eventually we go into a place of pressure and we start to feel pressure. There's an increased intensity and you might enjoy that. You might enjoy that intensity and, and that increased pressure. Um, and, and that's great. 
for, for many people who enjoy and, and work well in that zone. And then we've got a place of um, if that pressure continues to rise and those events become more and more challenging or more, more and more um, thrown at you and greater intensity, then we go to a place of overwhelm, a place where we start to feel like we're not coping so well. Um, we're starting to lose sight of what our priorities are and where our main focus should be. And we go from a place of thriving under pressure to can't cope anymore, feeling overwhelmed. And when that goes on for too long, eventually we hit a place of feeling unwell um, and we lose grasp of all reality. And so what we want to do is to be able to build our resilience and devise ways to manage those, those, those challenging events, um, whether that's being able to cope with more of them or, or just when there's too many being coming at you. And we want to be able to discover ways to help you cope um, so that we can have the resources to thrive in the face of pressure. And, and the great news about resilience is that it's not something that you either have or you don't have. It's actually something that we can build and develop. And, and very much like developing and building a muscle, like you go to the gym and you can hone in on a specific area. Um, you know, you might work on your, on your shoulders, upper body, on your abs. Um, the same thing with resilient leadership. You can hone in on a specific area of your resilient leadership. And the model that I'm going to share with you has four elements. So we can hone in on a specific one of those elements. And, and a bit like going to the gym, actually, it's, it's not something that happens overnight. We need to keep going back and keep working on it so that we can build that resilience over time. So let's get started um, with a definition of resilient leadership. Now, um, this is our definition. A resilient leader knows where they are strong and knows their areas for development. And that is really important because we need to be able to navigate this spectrum where we go from equilibrium into uncertainty, crisis, and even chaos. And a resilient leader knows what takes them from pressure to stress. And they understand where they work best in that zone. Is it in a place of equilibrium where everything's balanced? Or do they enjoy a bit of working under that place of uncertainty? Everyone is different. And the more we can understand about ourselves and where we work and where we thrive, the more we can do something about it because we're all going to respond differently to pressures and challenging events that are thrown at us. And most importantly, as much as knowing where what takes us from pressure to stress, a resilient leader knows how to rebalance, how to get back into equilibrium again. And, and they get that from having confidence in who they are and what they do. And that's particularly in the, important in the, in the context of right now, because then they can create, build and take opportunities. They find ways to bounce back, knowing that they will find a way through. It's a, it's a little bit like, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to find a way through, but I have confidence in who I am and what I do and the people around me such that we know we will find a way through uncertainty, change, and even crisis. So that's our definition of a resilient leader. Let's share with you now the four elements that are going to help to build that resilient leadership. I'm going to start with the first one, which is called clarity of direction. 
And I'm going to share with you on each of the elements a personal anecdote to bring it to life. And then I'm going to bring it back to your world and see how we can develop your leadership muscle in that particular area. So I want to share with you a story um, from when I when I first started out as a as a young um, girl aiming and um, targeting the Olympic Games. And the first thing to understand is that there was nothing extraordinary about me. I was just an ordinary girl from an ordinary family. Well, maybe not that ordinary, whose family isn't a little bit weird. Um, but, you know, we lived in an ordinary house and we drove an ordinary car and I went to an ordinary school. I'm no better at things than anyone else. Well, I could probably paddle faster in a kayak than anyone watching, but I was born no better equipped to become a world champion than anyone else. But what I did have was a dream to become an Olympian, to win a medal, to become a marathon kayak racing world champion. I had clarity of direction. And that is the essential driver of life. It's what ignites the passion. It's what gives you a focus. And it's what keeps you going when that lazy part of you that we all have is saying, I want to give up now. It's also really motivational for the people around you because it helps them to understand why they are being asked to do something. When people are up against it, when the pressure is on, they then understand why they need to do this. They understand why they need to keep persevering because they've got an end in mind. They've got clarity of the direction they're going in. And because until without that dream, I would have stopped. And without a team of people, I would have stopped because I didn't do this on my own. In the beginning, it was just me and my family um, and my training partners and my coach. And, and we had this vision. So I ask you, what is your vision? What's the outcome that you're trying to achieve, the measurable impact that you want to make? Because we can't, we can't make people buy into our vision, but we can use our vision and strategies to inspire others. And I was using my actions and behaviors to demonstrate what was possible. This is the early part of my team. And over time, we developed that team to become a wider team with all of these people here. Um, the physio, the masseur, the sports scientist, the sports psychologist, um, the physio. And, and we were aligned in our vision. And we realized that actually we were stronger as a team. We were more resilient as a team than we were on our own. Because when you're up against those pressures and those tight deadlines, you are far more resilient when you have a supportive team behind you. That is the time when you're facing challenging times, that is the time to ramp up collaboration and to include widely. And as a leader, when you have strategic intent, unifying purpose and determination, this is the impact. People know where they're going and why they're going there. And they know that you are determined to succeed. So that's clarity of direction. I'm going to bring it back now to, to your world. And the first thing, most important thing, as I already said, is to identify that vision. What's the impact that you want to make? The, the, what is the impact in the next six months? 
when the when the when the challenges are high, when the pressure is on, then having shorter time frames is really important. And as I said, that it's motivational for the people around you. you know they know why. It's important that they when they get caught up in those inevitable distractions and the negativity, it's going to remind them what they need to be focused on. What are the important things that they need to stay focused on? And it's going to remind them why the struggle is worth it. And once you have that vision, it's important then that we don't assume that your message of communicating that vision has landed as you interpreted it, as you, as you intended it. Because we all have different communication preferences and different ways of interpreting a message. And so we have to assume that, well, to keep checking really that the message has landed because if people are not on board with your your message and your vision then it might not be because they they don't believe in it or they don't want to engage with it it might be that you haven't communicated it effectively so my tip is to communicate regularly repeatedly and in a variety of different ways so that people fully understand the priorities and the main focus at any given time Find ways to keep people aligned and informed and engaged, even when things change. And let's be honest, things are constantly changing at the moment. So that's really important. So I encourage you to think about how do you communicate your vision and what are the different ways that you can communicate that? Ben, any thoughts on that? Absolutely love it, Anna. I think it's so powerful and it's important for people who are either internal or external. So internally, people who are in an HR-related role, whether that's an HR generalist or an employee engagement, recruitment, that clarity of vision is so important because we're going through such difficult times. You need to help the leadership of the business and the people throughout the organization know where we're heading, having that North Star to aim for that, yes, we're going to be buffeted around by the storms that we're going through, pandemics and so on, but having that clarity of vision. Uh, and for leaders, so whether that's your own business or guiding leadership, I think it's more than just sticking the mission, vision and values up on a poster on the wall. It's living them, demonstrating it, rewarding people who are doing the right thing, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's so important. And in a consulting sense, it's important to have that vision for yourself and for your clients because uh, it it takes you away from just the mechanics of, of providing a service. It's helping them drive forward to what they're aiming for, for uh, as well. So having real purpose, I think it's just so important. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for bringing that back to the HR world. Um, so the next element that we're going to talk about is awareness. And that is awareness of your own and others' motives, strengths, attitudes, and areas of development. So I'm going to share with you a personal anecdote. And I'd done all my winter training and the race season was upon us and I was ready to race. The previous world championships, the year before, I'd finished second, losing by 0.4 of a second. So typically when I turn up for the race, the first race of the season, the doubts start to creep in. And it prompts a pesky little voice in my head that starts to pester me with thoughts like, they're all expecting you to win this time, but what if you don't? What if you mess it up? What if you're still not quick enough on that sprint finish? I bet you've had moments of doubt like that, where that, that nagging little voice pops up, have you? Well, you know, maybe before a, a big client meeting or an important presentation. These doubts, they're normal. Well, at least I assume they are. Ben, do you have that voice of doubt? 
Of course, all the time. It's, it's perfectly yeah. natural. So we all have that voice of doubt, but how do we deal with it? Well, this is where the second element comes in, awareness. I have awareness of my strengths. And so I focus on them. I remind myself of all the brilliant training I've done, the improvement on my time trials, the improvement on my strength in the gym. The, the stats are showing muscle mass improvement. And we know that that relates directly to strength and speed and power on the water. And if I'm not aware of my strengths and don't have them on the tips of my fingers, then my confidence would be fragile. I'd be focusing on my weaknesses. Chances of performing at my best, slim. And so when I work with clients and we identify their strengths, we always see huge improvements in confidence. And with that, the resilience to get through challenging times. Because when you know what you've got in your locker, it gives you the confidence that you can cope with the situation, knowing that you have the resources within you to face that challenging, pressurized event. The other thing is, is that both I and my team knew what took me from pressure to stress. I knew when that voice of doubt was popping up regularly, a bit too regularly, and the negative thinking was taking over, I knew I was going from a place of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thriving on the pressure, I'm relishing it, to oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed and, uh, and, I, and, and I'm feeling stressed and it's threatening to destroy my performance. And, and my team, they could notice it happening. They could see it. My body language and my energy would change. My communication would hint at the doubt. And that's the first and most important step is to have awareness of, of what takes you from pressure to stress because you can't change it if you don't notice it. And, and they were aware. And both they and I knew what action I needed to take in order to rebalance. So in the face of challenging times that we're experiencing right now, it could not be more important to dial up your awareness of others and what takes them from pressure to stress and what action you can take to help them rebalance. And then you'll build resilient teams, resilient leaders and resilient teams. And when you have awareness of yourself, others and the environment, this is the impact. Everyone, including you, works at their best, resulting in increased productivity and motivation. Diversity is appreciated and used to the benefit of all. So let's think a little bit about how this can apply to your world. So this idea of, of what takes you from pressure to stress. Well, first thing to think about is what are the warning signs? What is it that we start to notice when we're going from thriving under pressure, enjoying the challenge to oh, can't cope anymore in that overwhelmed stage? The thing that most, a lot of people might notice things like, you know, a loss of focus. Really um, typical is that we just can't focus anymore. We can't prioritize. You might notice there's an increase in anxiety that you might be feeling. It might be that you're quick, quick to anger flying off the handle, um, quite snappy with others. And some people, they might withdraw. They isolate themselves. It's like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be near you. I just want to get on with it and deal with it myself. Um, 
you might find that you're a little bit more prone to mistakes because of that lack of focus. And then that can lead to a loss of confidence and a lack of motivation. And that's a really important warning sign. If you're someone who's usually highly motivated or people in your team, they're highly motivated and all of a sudden you having to work a little bit harder to build their motivation, then that's a really important red flag to look out for. Or because all of this, it's exhausting. And perhaps because you, you know, you're, you're not able to switch off, you become tired and your ability to, to relax at the end of the day and switch off and sleep um, diminishes. So you find that you're just spending more energy than you can recoup. So those are some really important warning signs. Because, and when you notice any of those, that is your, your red flag to, to say it's time to stop and ask yourself, what do I need to stop doing right now? Or what do I need to start doing? What do I need to change? And once you've noticed that, then you can take some action. And another, so my next question is, is what are, the most, what are the, your most common triggers? What are those things that take you from pressure to stress? Those are the warning signs that you're there, but what are the triggers that happen? And now a trigger is something that happens on the outside and impacts you on the inside. Uh, it, it's what takes you, it shifts you from a place of calm and content and thriving under pressure to frustrated, angry, stressed, feeling overwhelmed. What is that trigger? And it's important that we can identify those triggers in advance because the more that we can see them coming, the more better chance we have of doing something about them and choosing our response. So what might be a trigger for you? What is that circumstance? Is it um, maybe when you're, I don't know, running, when you're sitting in traffic? Is that something that, is it a certain meeting that you have to attend every week? Is there a who that might be a trigger? Now we've all got a certain person that pushes our buttons, right? And in fact, 76% of the stress that people experience at work are people and politics. So we've all got a who. And then there might be a where. Is it a certain environment that is a trigger for you? And is it a when? Is it when you're running late? Is it maybe when you're up against a deadline and someone comes to you with yet another request? Is that what sends you over the edge? So really important to understand those triggers so that you can start to choose your response. Quite often we can't, we can't eliminate those triggers because most of them will be out of our control but we can start to maybe minimize the time that you spend with that person that, um, that winds you up. Or you can start to, when you can start to see those triggers happening, we can do something about it. So dial up your awareness of what are, what are the warning signs, what are your triggers, and what are some of the triggers for other people in your team as well? And then have discussions about what can we do to rebalance. Any thoughts on that, Ben? Yeah, I think that's just so important. We all have triggers, as you say, whether it's a who or a what or a where or when. And look, I'm amazing in traffic. I never get frustrated. But you know, average mortals maybe have different situations. But just I really like the fact that you're asking these questions because it's pause, It's making me pause as I listen and reflect and think, mm, yeah, there are opportunities to be aware of the, the trigger and then plan how will I react next time that happens. Yeah, exactly. The, the more we can notice it, the, the more we can do something about it you can't change what you don't notice yes. so let's move on to element number three and that's leadership presence um, this is about having presence when you're not in the room and 
again, I'm going to share with you a personal anecdote. So by the age of 24, I had become a three-time world champion. I fulfilled that childhood ambition of becoming an Olympian. And I was on cloud nine. I thought it was going to go on forever. That was until my world quite literally fell apart around me. In April of 2003, I was diagnosed with an illness called chronic fatigue syndrome. And this illness, it was a serious illness. It hit me like a train. I was wrecked, rendered in a near permanent state of exhaustion, devoid of all energy. My muscles ached to the point where they were painful. And those were just some of the physical symptoms. The doctors said there was no cure, no treatment, that I should just rest and wait. They said I would never race again. I was scared. What if the doctors were right? What if I never got better? What would I do? Yes, it was a rubber situation. And I wallowed in my self-pity and my misery for some time. And, and I, I felt sorry for myself. Like, why me? Why now? I was still at the peak of my sporting career. I still had so many ambitions left to fulfill. Why now? Life is just so unfair. I probably sounded like an ungrateful teenager. But I realized that feeling like a victim wasn't going to help me. And I needed to find a way out. And I won't unpick all of the mental and emotional challenges that the illness threw at me, but I want to share with you the most powerful step that I took to overcoming the mental and emotional battles of the illness. And after two years, I did eventually start to recover. And the first most powerful thing I did was opening up to the people closest to me, sharing that experience with them, exposing my weaknesses. And allowing people to see my struggles and let them help me began to make me stronger. And this is a big departure for me because I'm not someone who accepts help easily, but I learned to ask for help and I ask for help a whole lot more now. And this is fundamental to being a resilient leader, being authentic in your leadership and having the courage, courage to ask for and accept support from others. And taking off that mask and showing vulnerability isn't a sign of weakness. It's actually the boldest act that a leader can make. And it fuels trust and the strongest of relationships. And I was working with a, a client recently. She was a director and she, we were talking about this idea of vulnerability. And, and she said that she would happily show vulnerability by admitting mistakes, but she was hesitant when it came to emotional vulnerability. And so we discussed the impact it could have. And, and she said that she would tentatively, she tentatively said she would give it a go. Anyway, the next uh, session that we did, she couldn't wait to tell me that she had opened up emotionally to a colleague about a challenge that she was experiencing at work. And she said the impact was huge. She said that it was so liberating, a weight off her shoulders. And she said that he didn't judge her. And she said now their relationship is far stronger and more open and honest as a result. And, and we know that that openness builds trust. And trust is at the heart of strong relationships. And we know from research that the strength of our resilience is based on the strength of our connections and our relationships. 
So if you want to build your authentic leadership and have leadership presence, I encourage you to think about how can you be more open? What, what steps can you take to be a more authentic leader? Because when we have authenticity as a leader, when we understand who we're serving as a leader and we have an intentional leadership, then the impact is this. You have presence, even when you're not in the room. And the best person takes the lead and is fully supported by all around them, leading to greater effectiveness and better results. So let's think about what is it that you can do to increase your leadership presence. And the first thing is that we need to understand what our values are as a leader. Because when I start to delve into this question with clients, we really work hard on this because when you can articulate those values, and you can then start to live them and breathe them. And it's only then that people start to experience you as authentic. They start to understand what it is that you stand for. And they know that you will do what you say you will. And when you can start to live and breathe those, those, those values, you can use them to guide your actions, to inform your decision making. And then you have presence even when you're not in your room, because people know what you would say when you're not there. They know what actions and behaviors you would want them to, to, and decisions you would want them to make when you're not there. And that's presence, that's leadership presence. And when we are more authentic in our leadership and we, people know what we stand for, we start to build relationships, we build them easier. And that's so important that leaders are doing this all the time, constantly, the most resilient leaders are constantly building and reinforcing relationships. Rather, and that, they do that in advance of, you know, before they hit crisis point. Because trying to do that in a crisis, it's too late. So the most resilient leaders are doing that regularly all the time. And in the face of what we're experiencing right now, leaders will really show their values in challenging times in the face of adversity. Because, for example, a leader um, whose values are caring and compassion, they'll pick up the phone and when someone's facing adversity and they'll check in on them and see how they're doing. And so they're demonstrating their values. And so we, can, we need to identify what are the values that we want to be, what, and that, because those values are what create the culture that you want to leave behind. So in, in the face of right now, um, you might demonstrate, you know, difficult times, regularly check in with other people, be proactive, pick up that phone. Because, you know, maybe you might start a, or begin or end a meeting and ask, just take a few extra minutes to ask people how they are. How are their family? How are they getting on? How are they coping with working from home? Just build that support network for people. And, you know, you might start by, by sharing first opening up because if you're struggling with something chances are other people are too and when you open up it gives people other people permission to open up as well um so really important right now in the face of what we're experiencing ben any any thoughts on that absolutely it's just so important a couple of the key points there the the big one is asking for help notice for instance ever since running group training programs for the last year that is such an important part for everyone where people can share ideas and share their problems and a problem shared is a problem halved but also everyone's learning from each other so it's it's gaining some of that confidence and clarity but also there's knowledge that gets shared through that process of asking for help and helping others 
And I love the whole principle of leadership being what goes on when you're not in the room. I just think that's so important. And again, it's, it's your words and deeds that guide that rather than just statements and rules and procedures. And for people running businesses that are slowly expanding out to hiring staff or using outsourced teams and things like that, this applies to you just as much as anyone because you're guiding how you create the kind of working culture and the business and the service that gets provided. So it, it all ties together. I really like this. Yeah, I think we're, um, I was talking with a, a client just the other day and she was um, having to deal with um, a case in her organization of, of bullying. And she said there's obviously two parties to this and they were having this meeting and um, the first meeting of this incident and she said she was, she was really stressful and we'd done some work on her values and and she said just knowing those values and understanding as a leader who am I serving was that what she said that just helped to keep me centered and grounded in the meeting because you know it was it was really stressful there's two parties here involved and you know they're going at each other and she just said knowing what I need to stand true for what's my ethical code um, and how do I stay true to my values and, and who am I trying to serve here as a leader? That's just what helped me to see through this really messy um, situation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, in, in that world of HR, really, really important. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the fourth and the final element, and that is resilient decision making. And um, once again, um, I'm going to share with you the, my final um, chapter in my story. So I've recovered from the illness and I'm, I've created a new team around me and I'm ready to get back to racing again. So skip forward to October 2005 and I am in Perth in Australia for the Marathon Kayak Racing World Championships. And it's race day. And this is the race that I came back for. This is the, mo the moment that in those long, dark days that I focused on, that reminded me why I needed to keep persevering. So, it's, so my coach takes me to the water. He gives me his final words of wisdom. Don't cock it up. Brilliant, thanks. We're called to the start line. It's a hot Australian spring day. The water's warm. We're lined up in, in boat number order, 50 single kayaks on the pontoon. I hear the calm voice of the start and then bang, the gun goes. I get off to a great start. I make the front group and the race progresses. And this is where resilient decision-making comes in because a, a marathon race in kayaking is a bit akin to being in the peloton in a road cycling race where the, the racers are constantly moving positions and you have to be able to think quickly and correctly. Pressure. You need to be versatile and robust in your decision-making and creative. And creative decision-making is when you're able to think outside the usual frame of reference and take a valuable idea from, from concept to reality. And as a leader, we can't be expected to have all the answers and to come up with all the ideas. So in order to be creative in your decision-making, it's helpful to collaborate with others so you get diverse opinions. And so in the weeks and the days before my race, the world championships together with my coach we're planning the strategy and yeah it's uncertain because I don't know how the race is going to pan out I don't know the plans of my competitors so there's uncertainty there so what we do is we we anticipate a range of possible outcomes and we plan accordingly so I arrive at the race and I've got a plan a a plan b and a plan c 
And I make a decision in the race based on intuition and experience. And to an outsider, it might look like I'm adept at thinking on my feet and making the right decision in the heat of the moment. And I am, but only because I've prepared for it. I have been able to, to create movies of the race in my mind. And I've watched it a thousand times. So I know exactly what move to make and what to think in the heat of the moment. And when a leader has, is robust and is versatile and creative in their decision making, this is the impact. Great decisions are made at the right time with the right people in the right place. Contingency options are always available so that the unexpected can be dealt with effectively and confidently. So yes, so that, let me just share with you the final chapter in my race. To finish that off, I went with this plan A in my race and I went on to win my fourth world title. And it was really quite overwhelming after the challenges that I've had to overcome. And, and it took a while for it to sink in, a little bit overwhelming. But when it did, that feeling was just a mixture of joy and excitement and pride and relief. And I'd scaled a larger, more arduous mountain in order to win that particular World Championships gold medal. And it wasn't an easy journey, but nothing worth achieving is ever easy. So let's, let's bring this back to, to your world. And, and my first thing to share with you about um, resilient decision-making is, is this idea of involving diverse opinion in your decision-making. This idea of collab, you know, always assume that there are different questions to be asked and different ways of approaching a certain problem or decision. And, and to help with that, it's useful to collaborate with others so that we can get diversity of perspective. That cognitive diversity is what will bring the richest solution to a crisis. So always think about who else can I involve? Who, what other opinions can I get in order to help with this decision? And then secondly, is to ensure that your decisions are being informed by people in a calm state. If you think back to that element of awareness and understanding what takes people from pressure to stress, have a way of finding out how people are dealing with stress so that you can understand and notice what's happening with them. And then you can make sure that your decisions are being informed by people in a calm state and not in a state of stress. And so you see how all of these elements are linked um, in this, you know, in, in terms of resilient decision making, you might, might ask yourself, you know, does this decision that I'm about to make, does it serve the overall goal of the organization? Is it in line with my clarity of direction? You might ask yourself in terms of leadership presence, you know, I do this all the time when I'm making decisions. Who is this decision serving? Who am I serving whilst making this decision? So they all add up. So those are the four elements. Um, ben, any thoughts on that final one? Resilient decision-making. I loved that. And not the least that it went from a situation of chronic fatigue syndrome to winning the world championship and in my hometown of Perth. So thank you for connecting the, the dots there for me. But for consultants and people in the HR world, whether it's recruitment and employee engagement, the range of it, that diversity of opinions and information is obviously just crucial. It's how you create a better business and there's just countless studies demonstrating that fact. 
And then also the, the fact that decisions are informed by people in a calm state. What can often happen in business and in the consulting world is that the client is looking for solution A and perhaps solution B is the better one. And so having that diversity of information and a calm state and your experience, and, and as you alluded to in your story, you know, drawing upon your intuition and experience, combining all of that and that data and the information diversity of opinion to produce the best outcome for everyone involved. So I've taken a lot of learnings already from that. Brilliant. Um, thanks, Ben. So, so those are the, are the four elements. And, and you know, as, as, we, as we emerge from the challenging times that we're experiencing, there's going to be a need for every person to lead both themselves and each other and, and to have a, a resilient leaders who can drive organizations forward. So I invite you to think about how can you become a resilient leader for your organization? Yeah, I know. I was going to ask if you could summarize this because we've covered so much ground and it's really powerful stuff. Is there a way to encapsulate this for people to take away and really take it on board and think about it after listening to this? And then secondly, I know you do work with organizations and people, individuals. Can you explain how you help individuals and organizations and how people could either work with you individually or refer clients or somehow work with you in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. So um, here is a summary of what I just talked about, the four elements. Um, the model is based on, um, as a leader, what I do as a leader, having confidence in what I do and also who I am. And those four elements that I'll just a re quick recap of um, sit in either the realm of what I do or who I am. Um, so clarity of direction, that first one, understanding what I do, where I'm going, why I'm going there and how I'm going to engage others in that, um, in that clarity of direction what am I going to do to um, communicate my vision so that it is, is it lands in the way that I interpret uh, I want it to be interpreted and recognizing that that's really important in terms of motivation for others understanding why they're being asked to do something helping them to remain focused on what's important and then we moved on to awareness understanding having that awareness of ourselves and others their motives their strengths what takes them from pressure to stress um, and then again, what action can be taken to help either ourselves or others to rebalance so we can improve motivation and productivity. And then leadership presence also sitting in that realm of who I am as a leader. This is, again is about being true to ourselves and our values, um, being guided by our ethical code and having presence when we're not in the room. Um, really important as a, as a leader, particularly now when we're working in this virtual world, when we're not there all of the time, could not be more important to um, for people to understand who you are and what you would want them to say and behave and, and make decisions you would want them to make. And then finally, um, resilient decision making, um, being able to take that valuable idea from concept to reality and being robust and versatile in your decision making so that we can make the right decision at the right time with the right people in the right place. And as you can see, all of the elements link together and we get that little sweet spot in the middle. And um, the first step to, to, to take really first action that I could draw you to is to um, head over to this website, which is um, resilientleaderselements.com. Um, and you're able to take an assessment called the, the light assessment for RLE 
and it's free. And that will give you an insight into your profile as a resilient leader, giving you an insight into your top three strengths. It's a five minute questionnaire. You'll get an insight into your top three strengths. So what are those things um, that are going to give you confidence? What, so that you have, you know what you've got in your locker when you're faced with a challenging situation. Um, and then it will tell you an area, a key area of development. And that's the gold dust, right? Because that's, you know, what we need to work on. Um, and it's going to it's going to direct you to a specific area of that leadership muscle that you need to spend time on. And what the system also does is based on that area of development, it, it generates a challenge for you to work on something to go away and have a go at in order to to build that specific area um, of your leadership development. So really, really valuable um, profile that you can generate with a simple five minute questionnaire. And then in terms of, um, Ben, you were asking about how people can work with me. Well, so I regularly run um, a program called the Resilient Leaders Toolkit. Um, and this is a program where we will you go over those four elements that I talked about so that we can build um, your, your, your knowledge of how to lead yourself and others through change and uncertainty, develop your confidence and competence as a resilient leader, understanding those strengths in a bit more depth because there's a more in-depth assessment that we do um, in our programs when I work with groups or one-to-one -one. and it, it allows you to measure um, your leadership development over time so you've got a starting point and then a measurement again at the end and the program I run this um, regularly there's there's one coming up but I run this every quarter it's six sessions that are either 90 or 120 minutes long it includes a one-to-one -one coaching session access to the resilient leaders tool uh, over three months small group sizes it's all virtually run yeah, so there's either an option for a group program like that or, or to work with me one-to-one -one on the resilient leaders elements as well. Yeah, so that's it, Ben. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Anna. And if you're listening to this, then I urge you to check that out because it's, as you've seen, having the mindset and the tools are so powerful to help you feel more confident and achieve greater success. And you've seen the success that Anna has achieved. So Anna, thank you very much for sharing a, your personal story, but also your insights and advice for people who are going through their own journey in life and in business. So I really appreciate your help and, and assistance today on this. If you want to learn more about Anna and her programs beyond the barriers.co.uk. So that's the website to visit. And thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate you helping us out today. Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. Cheers, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.